Hi, this is The Gathering Church in Windsor, Ontario, and I'm Pastor Garth Lino. Welcome to our podcast. Meanwhile, in the truck, the driver thought, Oh no! The cops already know! He rested his hand on the same gun that he'd used just minutes before to rob a 24-hour convenience store, and the sack of money was sitting beside him on the seat. The officer stopped the vehicle, began to approach, and walked up to the open window and said, Good morning, sir. May I see your... And he didn't finish the sentence, because the guy in the truck took the handgun, pointed it at the policeman's chest, and fired knocked the policeman flat, about seven feet away. A few seconds later, much to the shock of the criminal, the officer stood up, pulled out his service revolver, and fired twice. The first bullet went through the open window and shattered the windshield. second bullet tore through the door and into the driver's left leg. The guy threw the gun and the sack of money out the window, put his hands out the window and said, Don't shoot! Don't shoot! What saved the policeman's life was dozens of layers of Kevlar, that super strong fabric used in bulletproof vests. Only three-eighths of an, eight, three-eighths of an inch thick Kevlar can stop or deflect bullets. In James chapter 1, the Bible warns us about the power of temptation. And in this passage that Phil read just a moment ago, James tells us how every believer can stop or deflect whatever the enemy fires our way. First of all, I want you to notice the facts about temptation. Let's talk about that for a few minutes. Fact number one, temptation is going to happen. It's just like trials. We talked about trials last week from the uh, early verses of James chapter 1. Trials are unavoidable. So is temptation. It's going to happen. Verse uh, verse 13, rather, of chapter 1. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. So the writer just assumes that we're going to be tempted. When he's tempted. Not if he's going to be tempted, but when he is. The moment we entered this world, we were drafted into a lifelong battle with temptation. Fact number two, God tempts no one. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he, tempts, he himself tempts no one. So yes, God may test his people, and we know that he does that. He certainly tested Abraham in Genesis chapter 22 with the life of his own son. That was a test to fortify his character. So God does allow testing uh, in our lives, he brings uh, tests to us, uh, but, but never to tempt us, never to, never to lure us into sin, never to, to persuade us to sin, but rather to, to test and prove us. Human beings are naturally inclined to shift the blame to someone else when they're tempted or when they fall into sin, and we, we often blame God for that. Do you remember when Adam said, to the Lord, uh, what he said to the Lord in the garden when he was charged with committing the first sin. Genesis chapter 3, you might recall. uh, God says, where are you, Adam? Adam says, well, I heard the sound of you in the garden, 
and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? You haven't known anything but nakedness, so how would you know? Uh, Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, well, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. See? So he shifts the blame. That's the first time it ever happened, and it hasn't happened since, has it, guys? We've No, we, we never shift blame. <laughs> That's the first time it happened. It hasn't stopped since. <laughs> Always shifting the blame. It happened then. It happens now. Adam blames God for giving him a woman who led him into temptation. So it's not his fault, it's God's fault that he was tempted and fell into sin. But James says very clearly in this passage, God tempts no one. So blame somebody else if you need to blame somebody. Don't blame God. Fact number three, temptation follows a pattern. There's a fairly predictable pattern to Temptation, And if you know what the pattern is, this is where I'm going with this, if you know what the pattern is, you're forearmed. You're ready. You're, 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 you're armed for battle when temptation charges you. You're ready for it. James 1 verse 14 says, Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. So these two verses really form the crux of James's uh, explanation on temptation. It's the only place in all the Bible where the process or process, depending where you're from, of allurement is explained. It's the only place that this process is expounded upon right here in James chapter 1. And we'll talk more about that in a few minutes. But for now, let's just move on to talk about uh, fact number four. That temptation thrives on deception. Thrives on deception. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. You have to stop and ask yourself, why is that verse there? It really doesn't seem to fit with the verses that have, uh, have already been written by James. Well, he says it because temptation flourishes on deception. Wherever temptation is, deception is close by. Temptation deceives you into thinking that you can trade the truth for a lie and still be happy. But you can't. You might be happy for a minute or a day or a weekend... But it won't be long before you have regrets if you yield to temptation. Oscar Wilde said, the only way we get rid of temptation is to yield to it. That's deception. Giving in to temptation does not lead to contentment. It might lead to momentary pleasure or happiness, but it doesn't lead to lifelong contentment. There is no long-term gratification For a Christian who yields to temptation. Yield to temptation and you pay a heavy price. If not today, tomorrow, next month, next year. But you will pay a price. So that's why James says don't be deceived. Don't be deceived into thinking that you can yield to temptation and and be okay. Don't be deceived into thinking that. That That's the thinking of the world. You know? It's, It's not God's way. 
Don't be deceived, my beloved brothers and sisters. So we need to know the facts about temptation, but we also need to recognize the source. Where where does it come from? According to verse 14, James says, Each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Okay, but then in chapter 4 of his letter, James concedes that some of the temptation that we face actually comes from the devil. That's true. The devil is an active source of temptation. Uh, James 4, 7 says that if you resist the devil, the devil will flee from you. So we know from experience and from scripture that the devil is actively involved in tempting God's people to go a different way. In the Garden of Eden, again, Satan manipulated Eve's God-given desire to be happy. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be happy. That's a God-given desire. We, we want to be happy, but he, he took that God-given desire and twisted it and manipulated it and used it against Eve, and she sinned. So yes, of course, temptation comes from Satan, comes from the devil, but, but much, much of the problem comes from within, according to James chapter 1, from our own evil desire, comes from the flesh, And once we come to terms with that, and we need to, it's not always the other person's fault. It's not always the devil's fault. It comes from within. Once we come to terms with that, then we need to understand the progression of temptation. I said earlier that verses 14 and 15 really form the crux of James' teaching. It forms the heart of his teaching about uh, temptation and how it works. And this is kind of how it happens. First of all, the bait gets dropped. And we just use that generic term, bait. There's all kinds of bait out there. Uh, and the devil seems to know exactly what bait to drop in front of us. <laughs> we, we can be hooked by temptation because we're, we're hungry. We want our lives to be fulfilled. We want... Fulfillment in our careers, and we, we want fulfillment physically, and we want fulfillment emotionally, and, and financially, and sexually, and on and on it goes. We, we're hungry for fulfillment, so the bait drops. That's the first step. And then secondly, our inner desire is attracted to that bait. At this point, we've not sinned yet. We're still, you know, it's still in the contemplation stage or the, the thought stage early on. We're, we're tempted, we're, we're attracted, we're enticed, but we're not sinning yet. We haven't really locked on to that thing. We haven't taken any action. We're not really seriously contemplating the, the pros and cons. So this is where you need to walk away. This is where you need to get on your horse and ride off into the sunset. This is where you need to just run away as fast as you can. Or you'll be in trouble. Because thirdly, sin occurs when we yield to temptation, when we capitulate, when we surrender to those inner urges. That's when we're in deep doo-doo. That's where the trouble takes root. Now, we've stepped over the line. It's no longer just temptation. It has become sin. And fourthly, sin results in death. Separation. It affects our relationship with God in that very moment. Sin always leads to broken fellowship with God. Don't be deceived, my brothers and sisters, into thinking something other than that. 
It breaks fellowship with God. Because our God is a holy God. When we follow temptation and it turns into sin, it brings into the believer's heart and life a death-like experience. It feels like death. To have that broken fellowship with God feels like death. And that's how it works. And trust me, trust me when I say I have plenty of experience in this. More than I'd care to admit. But so have you. We have to understand the progression of temptation. If we don't check it early enough, it gives birth to sin, and sin will lead you down the garden path straight to the guillotine. Up to this point, we've been concentrating on the mechanics of temptation. But now James turns the page to help us with the treatment. So, so how, how do we really confront it? What, what do we do? Well, he says in verse 17, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. Hmm. Again, you have to ask yourself, why, why would he write that after he's been talking about the, you know, the progression of temptation and how it works? And then he says every good and perfect gift is from above. I, I think he seems to be saying, deal with temptation by dwelling on the goodness of God. Some of us have seen this verse quoted, apart from its context, for so long that we, we don't even know that every good and perfect gift is, from, is in the context of talking about temptation. That's the context in which this verse appears, dealing with temptation. So what, what is he suggesting? I think he's suggesting that we need to be proactive, we need to resist the devil by contemplating well in advance the goodness and grace of God. We need to fill our hearts and our minds with uh, thoughts about the character and goodness and grace and glory of God. And when your mind is full of that, you don't have room for thoughts about other stuff. And I won't go into detail. Let your minds be filled day and night with right thoughts. We've got Colossians 3 up there. If, if, you then, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not things that are on the earth. So that's one of the ways to, to really deal with temptation is to fill your mind, fill your heart with these things, the thoughts that are above and not the things that are on earth. Someone wrote this little ditty and I've long since lost the source, but it goes like this. Sow a thought, reap an act. Sow an act, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap your character. Sow your character, reap your destiny. So where does it all start? Where does it start? Sow a thought. It all starts with what you think about. And the way to deal with temptation is to be careful about what you think about. What you let in between those two ears. Behind those two eyes. Be careful what you think about. Sow a thought. Reap your destiny. 
Activate the treatment for temptation by pondering the character of God. What's he really like? Wow. Allow his eternal goodness to become your greatest joy. It will serve as your Kevlar to deflect temptation. Invite the goodness of God to fill your heart, fill your mind. You won't have time or energy to be thinking about other stuff. Also, let the word of God fill your mind, fill your heart. So important. Colossians 3.16, Paul the Apostle writes, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. He did. Remember the temptation in the wilderness? Jesus confronted the devil with the written word of God. He quotes from the book of Deuteronomy. He had it in his heart. He had it in his mind. It was there. It was available for him to use against temptation and to use against the devil himself. He quotes the word of God. Let the word of Christ, let the word of God dwell in you richly. The word of God is like Kevlar. (laughs) It can stop cold anything the enemy throws at us. And then furthermore, James tells us in verse 18... Of his own will, God brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. So God the Father brought us forth from the kingdom of darkness. He translated us into the kingdom of his Son when we expressed faith in Christ. And all of that came to us by the word of truth. You see, there it is again. It came to us by the word of truth, came to us by the gospel. And so that leads to another prescription for temptation, which is primarily center your life on the gospel. Center your life on the gospel. Paul tells us that this important gospel message that he brings is is of first importance, he writes in 1 Corinthians 15, 1-3, For I, I delivered to you as of first importance what I received. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So like underline this on your parchments, people. Underline this in your your Bibles. This is of first importance, Paul says. This is the gospel. This is the good news of Christ. And this forms the basis of our entire lives as believers. This is the gospel. So remind yourself of this daily good news that God has a perfect design in mind for you. His design for us is perfect. God made us with a purpose to worship Him and to to walk with Him every day. But sin causes brokenness. We've seen that. We've experienced it. We continue to hear stories about it. And sin causes brokenness every single time. Every single time without fail. Every time it causes brokenness. And if you allow yourself to be lured away, to be enticed away, and and desire is conceived, and that the desire uh, that's conceived leads to sin, sin will lead to death and brokenness. It brings brokenness with it. But the good news is that God has not left us. He hasn't deserted us in our brokenness. The good news is that Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, came to earth full of grace and truth. And He lived out a perfect life before us as an example to us. And he, he died the, the death we could not die. He took our place uh, on the cross. He took all of our sin and all of our shame with him to the cross when he gave his life. He was buried, but he came out of the grave alive on the third day, according to the scriptures, in order to restore us in our relationship with God through repentance and faith. 
And now, by the grace of God, we get to chase after God's perfect design for our lives again. We get to to chase after all the goodness and grace and glory of God that He has stored up for us to recover and pursue His perfect design for our lives. That's the gospel. And and if we could just focus on that and, and center our lives on that, the gospel itself will strengthen us as we deal with temptation. Just like Kevlar Just like Kevlar, the gospel of God, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ will help you to deflect or stop temptation in its tracks. That's how you deal with it. Sow a thought, reap an act. Sow an act, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap your character. Sow your character, Reap your destiny. So, what you sow today has an impact forever. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, the The seizing power of temptation in our lives is so very real. I guess it would be one thing if temptation came like junk mail, easy to recognize, ignore, and throw away. But at times, temptation comes with such alluring and promissory power that standing up under it is an incredibly difficult thing to do. It just is. And I think you understand that, Lord. Father, we would despair and question the reality of our faith if we didn't have the assurance that temptation itself is not sin. Jesus, the very fact that you suffered the full fury of temptation without sin also gives us hope and keeps us from going crazy. What encourages me the most is the commonality of every temptation and the promise of a way out of my temptation. This assures us that, Lord, that no matter how dark and foolish or destructive are the things that enter our minds, such temptations are not unique to any of us. Anything I'll ever be tempted to do is common to other believers just like me. So, Lord Jesus, please, please, Help us to resist the seducing power of temptation. Whether our temptations are are sexual, financial, relational, or maybe related to, to drugs or alcohol, it makes no difference. Lord, show us the way of escape and give us strength to choose that way. And when we falter and fail, grant us grace to flee to you for mercy and restoration. Oh, Lord Jesus, what a wonderful and merciful Savior you are. We have the privilege of praying these things in the, the strongest name, the most powerful name among men, the name of Jesus. Amen.